0: Our source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off-Tackle EMPIRE! Welcome back to Off-Tackle EMPIRE, and it is time to debrief and give our lieutenants a summary of what happened here in Week 2. Of Big Ten action.
1: Nothing happened in week two. Why you gotta bring it up, man?
0: Why are you always criticizing me? Because why not? We've got us a win Tribe booster for the week uh, that has so many applications here. This is curmudgeon's better half. And you know what, uh, Kirk Ference and Iowa, as much as you want to complain about Iowa State being on there, and you want to complain about this game and say, oh god, I hate them. We have to play them. You know. You know you'd be worse off without them. And, you know, as far as fans
1: of Michigan State or Purdue or even Rutgers to an extent because your quarterback got killed on the last play of the first half, you all know that the first half was the better one. And everything that happened after halftime, let's just drown it in a high-quality beer and pretend it never happened. I mean, I, for one, passed out after my game was over because it was 2.30 in the morning and I was in a deep rage and also just very tired. So, you know, it's easy enough to forget when there's nothing worth remembering.
0: Well, unfortunately, our troops did, in fact, march uh, all the way to the desert. Basically, the the land war in Asia of intra-conference, uh, you know, cross. Uh, w- w- what do they call those uh, rivalries that are not geographic? Just games. Just games <laughs> that happen once. Intersectional in a while. rivalry. There we go. That's the term. So yes, it's the land war in Asia of intersectional. Uh, intra-conference scheduling I guess okay but we'll get to that one eventually after we recap uh, bloodbath uh, Ohio State 52 Rutgers 3 is there anything particular to say here
1: a lot of interesting things to go through in this game first of all exactly how many uh, different players Ohio State got into the game probably all of them over the course of it as I, as we mentioned in the in the opening there Rutgers had an interesting strategic decision that, time running down on the first half nowhere near scoring position to leave their valuable freshman property Art Sikowski in to get murdered by Joey Bosa apparently Sikowski's going to be fine but given that Bosa was beating Cole like a drum all day that wasn't the greatest decision to make other than that this game you could replay our commentary for last year's game you could replay the recap articles for the previous year or the year before that or the year before that no difference <laughs> the gap between these two programs has narrowed not the slightest
0: bit. Not of course, course, yeah. you know, it was also a poor decision for uh, Joey Bosa to be doing that because he, of course, then missed the Chargers game the next day, but he did have to get in there and help out Nick Bosa with that pass rush because otherwise uh, otherwise, Zdkowski would have completed a pass to a defensive back.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh... Not an encouraging sign of progress from Rutgers. And granted, probably not many Rutgers fans who expected a win going into this. But you like to show a little bit of life. Uh, I mean, they
0: scored for the first time since 2015.
1: I suppose that's technically progress. Although, what was the margin last year? Was it 49 nothing? I think it was
0: 56 nothing.
1: Yeah. Well, it's okay. We're we're making progress here. So by the year 2027 or so, you might actually be in a game in the fourth quarter. That's, that's something. Just a seven possession game now, Rutgers. It's important to have goals. Uh, the, this is also gonna bring us to a weekly feature that we've brought up, which has been inspired by our co-author Go for 3, our great Ohio State writer. Uh, and that's gonna be Trade Your My Rutgers, where based on the results of the previous week's Rutgers game, uh, we're gonna debate what would be a fair thing to trade your Rutgers for. Thump, what are you trading me your rutgers
0: for? Well, I got this Rutgers and it's gently used. It still does have a few dings on it, but I think I think that it's got what you need to replace the UConn that I would like to pry off of you. That sounds like a totally
1: fair trade. So consider UConn's result from this past week when they absolutely got their faces caved in by Boise State. Granted, on the road at Boise, not an easy place to play, but the total yard differential uh, was more than 800. Oh my god! That's FBS on FBS, kind of violence that you don't routinely see. UConn has been in a deep pit of despair since having a high point around the same time you know chronologically that uh, Rutgers did a couple years later but comparable where they had like a brief two or three period you know year of year period of relevance and then the coach in question left and everything just quickly turned to Ash um not Chris Ash (laughs) (laughs) if I had realized in advance that I was heading for such a great pun I would have asked you to set me up with it beforehand but just consider the, the equivalencies here because you're getting back another program that's got access to the fabled slash non-existent uh, New York college sports span. Ooh. And it, we're actually upgrading here the basketball side of the equation. Certainly on the women's side, we add basically the Alabama times Patriots of women's college basketball. That oh. would undoubtedly turn the Big Ten into the preeminent conference in that sport. When you consider Maryland and Ohio State are already perennial powers. There's a few other good teams, and you even get a men's program that's in a state of disrepair at the moment. Just fired their coach in the middle of last season. Um, the previous coach was a known cheater, but they did grab a few national titles in the last few years. They would have more since the turn of the century than obviously everyone in the Big Ten combined. So,
0: well, I don't, I don't recall that uh, they ever got quadrupled up in their conference tournament like Rutgers did by Louisville in their last Big East tournament.
1: Right, so regardless of how low UConn sinks, the floor for them is certainly vastly higher than maybe even the ceiling is for Rutgers hoops. So yeah, this week we're going to trade you our Rutgers for UConn. This isn't actually a choice that you get to make. We're just going to talk about it and then do it. We're kind of the bullies of this podcast. We're the only ones who talk. Maybe you have noticed. We don't
0: have... Well, yeah, you know, we could always use more dogs in this conference. I mean, right now, the only dogs in the conference are the ones on this podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so Wisconsin played New Mexico, and...
1: uh, Play Jonathan Taylor in your college fantasy leagues, kids. Don't be dumb. Um, Wisconsin had enough little bumps, I guess. You know, Taylor fumbled it again. That's not something you want to see regularly from a guy who gets as many carries as he does, but... Passing game looked fine. Um, defense, 14 points from New Mexico. They're not as bad a team
0: in the last couple of years as they have
1: historically been. Archie, could you please, please stop looking my foot? Thank
0: you. Well, you almost want to think that, uh, you know, that Paul Chris was a little bit happy to see something go wrong because, hey, look, it's an opportunity for me to make some coachings.
1: Right, because... That's the downside to this, I guess, of your coaches. You see your team succeed, and you're like, crap, now they're going to think they're actually good at things. This is this is the permeation of the Nick Saban mindset into other coaches where if they succeed too much, he's like, now i, I got to start all over with making these guys think they're worthless. Have, all my work is ruined. Um, now, not every coach is as much of a sociopath as Saban, but let's not kid ourselves. Every coach is somewhat of a sociopath at a minimum.
0: Yep. Uh, speaking of which, Penn State 51 pit
1: six <laughs> apparently i only watched a little bit of this game and apparently i missed a real shit show i think it was seven six when i tuned out and i was like well that's gonna come down in the end i'll have to swing back to this and i came back and nope. I no 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 you know i don't think there's actually 45 points difference worth of quality between these two teams but man Pitt really it, they're they're handling this penn state kind of looking down slash disrespecting them thing all wrong and i get that when you don't play them every year maybe you feel like you gotta like desperately cling to this and like make sure that like just go full board, just bash your head into the wall of this rivalry while it still exists. It's not the way to do it, man. Um, and you know the results
0: sure played out. I guess you know they acquired a... Jeff George Jr. in vain.
1: They didn't even play him. Did they even play him. They're wasting his eligibility. What are they doing?
0: It's a shame to see a program mismanaged like that. Uh, speaking of things that were managed poorly, would you like to talk about Michigan State Spartans going out and getting firm for Herm?
1: Yeah. So, in hindsight, it was definitely a much worse idea to play this game. I mean, this, by the way, runs the Big Ten to 0-10 all-time at Arizona State. (laughs) When the game kicked off, the field temperature was 110 degrees, and the last shot they showed of a thermometer in the broadcast, it was still, like, in low 90s, and that was at 2 in the morning here, 11 p.m. there. You know, on the field, there were penalties for sure at bad times. There were play calls that were baffling at bad times. There's this continuing refusal defensively to adjust to what the opponent's actually doing in the name of schematic purity, which is a theme we'll come back to later on, Nebraska. Don't worry, we noticed. And, you know, other than that, Arizona State does have a few playmakers on the roster that are better
0: than you would think. Everyone knows the name Nikhil Harry. Which I thought MSU did a decent job of locking him down. I did play him in my fantasy league, and uh, he did get that decisive touchdown late, though.
1: Yeah, but again, on the two, really the two throws to him down the stretch that were part of the drives that let Arizona State win this game, there was nothing anybody could have done about those. I mean, Jalen Ramsey wouldn't have covered those. The first was this comeback route, probably like a 15, 16 yard comeback. Throw was outside, high, away. If Harry hadn't caught it, it would have been over the bench of everybody on the sideline. And the touchdown was kind of the same thing a high outside. He high points the ball. Coverage is actually pretty good. Justin Lane did a pretty good job on him for most of the night. I think he got flagged for interference like once, which, yeah, he did. Oh, I know how
0: Utah State felt when they got feltoned.
1: I guess, yeah. I mean, once in a while, you have to kind of give your respect to the other guy. But really, I mean, there was continuing inability to run the ball, continue to have execution issues, especially with penalties from goal to go. It's just, how do you not practice these things? How do you not drill them? In the stadium, was, they had decent noise, but this is a team that's, Played in the Horseshoe, played in Happy Valley, played in the Big House. Like, they shouldn't have been intimidated by a crowd literally half the size of those buildings. Um, It it felt really like a repeat of the previous week in that MSU just did not look prepared for this game. Uh, They continue to not take risks when they should. The risks they do take turn out to be dumb ones. Um... All that said, you know, there were some bright spots. I'm not going to bother going through in any more detail because MSU lost. And given that they were one of two ranked teams that lost this week, pretty strong candidate for dick trip of the week. I'll leave you to make that argument because I have a couple good ones myself. Uh, but before we get ahead of ourselves here, yeah, that's that's about all it is. I mean, there were injuries, yes. There were lots of penalties. You like to think those are things that can correct themselves. But there's still, I mean, there's still just things that they do from a program philosophy standpoint, that drive you nuts. I mean, they work most of the time, but when they don't work, it
0: makes you grind your teeth. Speaking of which, Illinois uh, didn't get on the board against Western Illinois until the second quarter. Uh, Now, Illinois, of course, is still suspending some players um, for undisclosed violation of team rules. Uh, Some very important players. Um, violations and... Violations and... Yeah. Violations and... Yeah, violations. violations and smoking the reefer. More or less. So anyway, um, between that and the fact that they've been taking it cautious with injuries and keeping the playbook really vanilla, you don't really know what this team is going to look like. What I do know for sure, what you can't explain away with any of that <coughs> stuff, is that the offensive line was not very good and made a lot of mistakes. and. Uh, I think that we now have a big enough sample size with our upperclassman guard, Allegretti, um, just being confused in a lot of places, not knowing how to handle stunts, missing blocks at the next level, that I think that we can safely say based on the fact that that guy has not improved at all. Coach Butkus could probably stand to find a job somewhere else. I mean, we could probably upgrade at O-line coach. Uh, But anyway... The sound you hear in the background is R2 squeaking a toy that he found
1: with a squeaker in it um, in concurrence with everything you're saying. So please, can continue.
0: More or less. So uh, I was at this game, and I was overjoyed to see my boys finally pull out a win. But I was only at this game because I thought it was the best chance that we had for a win, like, possibly ever again. You were right. And, were right. yeah, I was, I was right. The suspensions will continue through South Florida, so we won't know what this team will look like until we play Penn State, in which case we still won't learn anything. So we've learned... Nothing except that the O-line isn't good and that God hates our receivers because we got some action from this true freshman Edwin Carter, who I didn't expect to be a contributor. He caught a beautiful touchdown from uh, freshman MJ Rivers, and then he caught his second touchdown and sustained a season-ending knee injury. So, uh, that's great. We found and lost a receiver in a game that's very Illinois. All around me, I'm near here in It won't rhyme
1: after that, so never mind.
0: So anyway, we just need uh, one more win without losing another receiver and we've got as many season end and we've got as many wins as we have season ending injuries to receivers um anyway Ill indeed yeah we're, we' we we've, we've learned nothing um except i mean i don't know I was hoping to learn that we were better than last year haven't learned that yet i don't know when we ever will but uh, i think they're targeting that purdue game so let's hope that if they're you know hey maybe I, Purdue
1: hey you know speaking of uh, Purdue, we'll we'll get into them a bit later. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you may have a better chance there than you thought. Um, to, well, so to, to, to give you an
0: idea of how little we've learned, the Champagne Room Slack is having a discussion about should Illinois even attempt to win either of its next two games? That's where we're at right now. So, uh, the September Northwestern Wildcats struck again in a 21-7 loss to Duke. Uh, Of course, a guy named Flynn Nagel played in Duke versus Northwestern. That's Flynn Nagel CPA to you, sir. Um, Northwestern couldn't really move the ball that well, Um, and Duke lit him up in the second quarter for three passing touchdowns. They had, of course, the infamous pitch count, uh, with Thorson getting his interception and TJ Green getting his interception as well, with them combining to go 31 for 56. They threw 56 times. Uh, Despite Larkin getting five yards per carry.
1: This kind of felt like the result that
0: we would have seen first
1: week if Purdue had anything resembling a good defense. Um, The Northwestern scheme here with this two-quarterback system, they've got, like I said last week, Without knowing the particulars of his injury and exactly how he's recovering, I don't think we can say if it's a sensible approach to take or not. It could be. It could be the worst idea ever. So that being said, I think part of what you got to decide is whether it actually makes any sense on the field. I mean, did Thorson add enough to the equation when he came back in to justify disrupting any rhythm that TJ Green got into? Because Green looks okay. I mean, he's fine as far as a backup goes. You could do a lot worse. So... Is the change in chemistry, a change in style, really enough? You know, is it too much of a problem to justify the benefit that you get from playing Thorson at all? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not.
0: Well, Northwestern wins games by playing it close, uh, running the ball, and not making mistakes. They threw 56 times, only completing 31, two interceptions, forced no turnovers from Duke. That's pretty much the whole story of this game. It was a scoreless second half. Oh my goodness! What a horrible. Game this must have been to watch. This game I did watch a
1: good part of. I can't confirm. Why it. would you do Can't this? confirm. It was uh, Anyway, MSU another... MSU didn't play until... Didn't kick off until 10.45. I had a lot of time on my hands
0: Saturday. Another player that played in Duke Northwestern was named Davis Coppenhaver because, of course, he was. Attorney at law, sir. So, anyway, Virginiana. Uh, Indiana has decided that they are at long last ready to join the Big Ten. They've cut mm. out this Big 12 bullshit and just giving it to a guy 31 times and having that be the whole offense they Stevie ran Scott. the
1: damn ball thump they ran the damn ball and it worked. good this i believe another bad weather game if i remember correctly uh virginia very limited in the passing game they have one receiver who allegedly is pretty good iowa or indiana i'm sorry basically had that guy triple teamed like all night every time they targeted him or he had a reception there'd be just like a, a ring of Hoosiers around him instantly. I forget the guy's name. I think his last name was Zacchaeus, which is... Oh, Olamide Zacchaeus. Yeah, straight up. That's a that's a quite a Tidewater name. And um, uh, let me
0: tell you what...
1: Um, but Stevie Scott, man. I mean, you can't, you can't help but be impressed. Um, and then also, I, I, I kind of like... I'm sorry, I sort of trampled over you there. But before I lose my train of thought completely, um, Indiana did a pretty good job from a game scheme standpoint of spying Virginia's mobile quarterback, because very... Quickly, it became apparent the only thing Virginia was going to do was run through the quarterback or otherwise.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was saying uh, that's what I was, saying was uh, Bryce Perkins, Virginia quarterback, had 25 carries. Uh, by far, their leading rusher, and I, I guess that's kind of how you know that they did a pretty decent job of taking away the passing game because I, I do not think that he wanted to take off that many times.
1: Probably didn't. You know, this, this game when Virginia had the ball actually, to me, resembled Kent State's possessions against Illinois with Woody Barrett. It's like, oh, you look at that guy, and you understand, like, yep, that, he's going to keep the... He'll have the ball in his hands a lot of the time. He's not going to throw it or run it. They're not doing anything with anybody else initiating the play. That's going to... He's
0: who this offense is about. Yes, and uh, for Indiana, the offense was all about Stevie Scott. And, of course, to a much lesser extent, Peyton Hendershot and Ty Freifogel, which are not names that I made up. Um, they are not at all.
1: Indiana making a strong campaign for team
0: names of the year. So, oh well. Let's let's also not forget the uh, one tackle racked up by Koi Kronk. He's gonna get Kronk, but it's gonna be real subtle about it. You ain't gonna realize what's happening until Koi is already Kronk. So,
1: <laughs> uh, Western Michigan three, Michigan forty nine. Pretty much what I think we expected. This is how Michigan operates in the Harbaugh era against inferior, against clearly inferior op- opposition, which is to say they. Use their weight and lean into the opponent until it's clear that there's, you know, that they, they sit on your head until your skull cracks, basically.
0: Congratulations, Jim Harbaugh. Michigan can beat Western Michigan. What did you prove? Not much. And you know, Brady Hope did this kind of thing too. Uh, Ten and nine in your last nineteen. Michigan yeah. Eastern Michigan traveled to West Lafayette and, um, uh-oh. So what happened was that the rain decided that Purdue was going to fumble five times.
1: Sure. You know, Purdue only lost two of those fumbles, though, which is right around what you expect for losing five. Uh, Eastern Michigan did get their first touchdown on a broken pass play, basically a reception that turned into a long touchdown when Purdue's guy basically fell down. But that touchdown counts. I mean, those plays count. Rondale Moore's long touchdowns count when some defender screws up and slips, breaks his ankle trying to catch the guy. So uh, Moore, by the way, was held pretty much in check, as you would guess, from 19 total points. Eastern Michigan... Did that thing that's so demoralizing when your opponent has the ball, they're in field goal range, and they just poke away and drain the clock, drain the clock, drain the clock, and then, okay, four seconds left, timeout, and you're just like, God, there's yep, no way. They just way. kept
0: converting. They just kept converting. Because Arizona then, State
1: did the same thing to MSU, frankly, but
0: in any case. Um, drive led by Tyler Wiegers, formerly of Iowa Hawkeyes fame.
1: Yeah, so. I mean if you're an Iowa fan and you see the way Nate Stanley's performed so far, are you that impressed? Would you trade him for Uyghurs having been the starter the last couple years? No, they're gonna they're gonna yell at us on Twitter about this, but guess what? I'm still not on Twitter. I don't care.
0: Oh hey, Tyler Uyghurs won his last start against Purdue. Did Nate Stanley? No, he did not. Okay. All
1: <laughs> right. Well I ain't saying I'm I'm just asking the
0: questions, man. So I'm just asking questions. Okay. So So look, um,
1: Purdue I mean, Purdue drops to 0 and two. It's <clears throat> Last week, it was fine to say, okay, oh, this is not the start that we expected, but things are okay, things are go, things are not okay anymore, right? Because once again, you have a costly and just asinine uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty late in the game that, re- that breathes life into the shriveled, decrepit lungs of a dead opponent and allows them to come back and bite your face off as a zombie.
0: And uh, that really, if you look at their schedule, you would probably have picked Emu as the most winnable game on there. Um, yeah. I know they play Illinois, but that is a road game, which are usually a little bit more difficult, because uh, coming up on their schedule is a home game against Missouri, who they did beat handily last year, a Boston College team that I think is going to feast on their depleted defense. Then they go to Nebraska, to Illinois, and then <coughs> at home against Ohio State, and then at Michigan State. So they've got kind of you know some games where they've got to prove something against opponents that should all be better than Emu.
1: Yeah, the, what we might see over these next couple games is the full extent of the work that Jeff Brom has left to do. Because last year got you better results than you expected, maybe people got a little ahead of themselves and thought he's going to be a real miracle worker from day one. Well, maybe now that the
0: only good recruits
1: Daryl Hazel ever recruited are gone, and you've got his... Last couple
0: bad classes plus the beginning of the Braum guys. Well, just kind of where they missed a bunch of defense depth. Yeah. On that. Yeah. You just, is... You're in a transitional year with your defensive roster. And this could end
1: up being a lot rougher than we thought because the offense really has not quite taken off the way I think a lot of us expected. Yeah, guys like Moore, and, you know, I like the way DJ Knox played in this game, the parts of it that I watched. They um, ran the ball effectively. Except when they were popping it out. And, yeah. Hey, man, if you. <laughs> That f- that fumble that Marco Jones had as they were approaching the end, I think from like the 15 yard line or so, was it was like it was like a cartoon. Watching the thing bounce around, it landed right in the arms of a defender after like ricocheting off two other guys. And yeah, weather is hard to prepare for, but not that hard. You just spray spray down the balls in practice with the hose, and you're simulating it pretty well, I would think. So
0: yeah. So anyway, Maryland uh, beat up on Bowling Green State. Uh, (laughs) Although they did put on a clinic with 14 penalties for 139 yards. A game that our Maryland writers were absolutely livid about
1: because for the first half, obviously, this game was much closer. And in fact, at the halftime, Bowling Green had 14 and Maryland only had 10. After the half, Maryland seemed to decide, all right, we're not going to screw around with this anymore. We're just going to run straight ahead. With our bevy of talented running backs, and they did. They have they got four guys here who I think all went over 70 or 80 yards, something like that. So Maryland can certainly run the ball, and this is what I've expected from them for the last couple of years, really, given how good their offensive line recruiting has been. But maybe we're finally seeing that uh, come to pass. And again, or come to run.
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of which, run, Ralphie, run. Mm, uh, yeah, that happened. So this was actually a pretty. Decent game to watch. game. Very entertaining game. Uh, It was a quarterback duel because you had a dual threat. Uh, Adrian Martinez looked pretty sharp, but Steven Montez was the truth and uh, threw for the go-ahead touchdown. Uh, Colorado could not run the ball. Nebraska kind of struggled to pass it a bit.
1: Yeah, man, and the other thing about Colorado, that Chenault guy, I forget his first name, the receiver they have, that dude can play, man. Especially that, just watch the replay of that game-winning touchdown uh, and you'll see what I mean. The guy is a monster to cover. LaVisca, so Shanoff, Jr. LaVisca that's his first name. So that you can play um, early in the game. Yeah, You have to like what you see from Nebraska here. Because first of all, yes, the two early fumbles that turn directly into 14 points, not great. But... They didn't seem overwhelmed by the moment. They came back and controlled a lot of the rest of the game until then. Colorado fought back just enough to be able to take it out at the end. Um, when Adrian Martinez was in there, you could see this option system that they're going to run is really going to cause teams some problems because it's very different from anything anybody else in the Big Ten runs.
0: They rolled up 565 yards on Buffs, so they moved the ball very, very well, but not quite well enough to compensate for 3 nothing turnover margin.
1: Yeah, some concern also because Martinez got hurt, and obviously there's no real depth chart behind him because when he won the job, the other scholarship quarterback Tristan Gebbia immediately bailed. So Nebraska attempting to win the game had a former walk-on in the game. Wait,
0: how? So, so how many how many quarterbacks realized they didn't win the starting job and then transferred after game one? Because Illinois had a guy do that too. Is that just like <laughs> the new thing? Well, I think Gabby had transferred before the season actually started.
1: It was like at the end of practice they named Martinez the guy, and then I think that was when he bailed. I don't think they
0: played any games with ah, okay. so him still on the roster. Well, oh, okay, so. still around the same time frame. Plus or minus one week start of the season.
1: Well, yeah, I, it's very concerning, the state of Nebraska's depth chart, Archer, I know. But um, when Martinez was in there, the offense really looked good. And because he was still out on the field, I don't. it doesn't seem, doesn't sound like it's going to be too serious of a thing. But again, without him, not only is there no depth, but Bunch, the guy that they played, is obviously a very different type of quarterback than Martinez is. So their system isn't going to make any sense with him in there running it.
0: Uh, however, Scott Frost may have had a little more opportunity to win this game than uh, the score ah, yes. would indicate. And as we mentioned earlier, we're going
1: to talk about your clock
0: management in Nebraska. Oh, not again! Not again! This is not the first Nebraska coach to have early clock management struggles. Not that we're making that comparison. No, of course not. No, because you gave because because you allowed Colorado to have a chance to win as opposed to literally handing the game to Illinois. It's right. not the same thing. Right,
1: right, right. So, we're speaking, of course, of having the ball uh, late in the game. The score at that point, I think, was... 28, 26, or 25, something like that. 28, 26,
0: 20. well, what?
1: Nebraska was winning, is the point. Yeah. And they have the ball. It's the fourth quarter. They're running very well. So one would think they're going to be able to move the chains in a couple times enough to either run the clock out totally, or when you give it back to Colorado, there will be virtually no time left. They won't have any timeouts. But Scott Frost's philosophy is that of a hurry-up offense. And so on that final drive... They're snapping the ball with 8 seconds left, 12 seconds left, 16 seconds left on one occasion, I believe. Um, Leaving a whole lot of time for Colorado, which, again, they move the ball pretty well, too. And sure enough, fourth down comes. Nebraska can't convert on third down. And they give the ball back to Colorado with plenty of time left. They did not force Colorado to burn all their timeouts. And what happens? Colorado has enough time to score. Now, granted, Nebraska also got back into position such that they were, what, like 30 yards out or something? Enough that their walk-on quarterback's able to heave a ball into the end zone, such that that catch would have won the game. But you had the lead late. Don't you want to just own the ball?
0: Don't you want to stretch the possession out a little bit? Well, that's that can be the price you pay for sticking to your guns, no matter what the situation or the context sometimes. Uh, but, hey, if you're a coach and you're committed to your philosophy, then... Uh, you know, and that's what has made him a winner so far. Yeah. We'll, well, we'll so see how this
1: goes in the future. So, the whole point of hurry up, right, is to keep the defense from substituting and at times to snap to give yourself an advantage before they're lined up properly. But you can do, you can get the first of those benefits without actually snapping the ball fast. If you hurry up and line up, defense doesn't have time to substitute. You can then stand there at the line twiddling your thumbs until there's two or three seconds left on the clock and then snap it you still prevented him from substituting. You've still got the option to go fast if you want to. But in this situation, you don't want the yards. You don't want the points. You just want to sit on the ball. I mean, if you score a touchdown, sure, that's fine. You're in a better position than you were without scoring a touchdown. But it's not like their offense is clicking the way it was in the, in the 90s when Frost was a quarterback and they are dropping 70 every game. This is the game against a competitive opponent. You had to know they were going to sell it to stop you eventually, and they did. And because they were able to stop you, and you did not burn as much time as you could have, you gave them an advantage they didn't have to have otherwise. That's a that's a decision. That's a situation that came about solely because of your um, philosophy in that situation. You gotta be flexible, man. There's no, what value is there? Like I, <laughs> I know what Frost is gonna say. What I imagine he already has said in the press conferences about that, which is we're gonna do things the way we're gonna do. You know, however he phrases. It. I don't know what he sounds like. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. So quit asking. <laughs> yeah yeah that's what this was this was made, this was his on-field version of nick saban's outburst about talking about his quarterbacks which was still one of the funnier things i've ever seen because he was so small and mad about it but <laughs> but this was the this was the play calling version of of that childish outburst which is i'm right and no one is gonna convince me otherwise and just look at my results except scotty you don't got any results yet this was game one and you lost it and you didn't have to
0: Well, I mean, and of course, the other great thing about that saving thing is that, I mean, that's that's one of my favorite uh, college football memes the last five years, because now, you know, I can just play that clip every time you want me to stop comparing literally everything to Illinois. Quit asking. I'm not going to do it, so (laughs) quit asking. (laughs) Iowa, 13. Iowa's better half, three. This game set football back by decades. Holy shit, they were just over 450 yards of total offense, and... Arguably the deciding factor was a single Iowa State fumble that gave Iowa one extra possession.
1: Yeah, it's strange because the difference really between this game and last year is that Iowa State lost a bunch of really good receivers, right? And the quarterback also got hurt partway through the game, so they had to go to a backup whose first name is actually Zeb. But in any case, Iowa State's diminished capacity in offense was really the big difference between this year and last year on the two rosters. Iowa has enough guys back that they're kind of the same team. Iowa State does not. And the nature of the game basically changed to reflect that. Last year when Iowa State was capable of scoring all those points, Iowa scored enough to keep up and it felt like they always could. And then this year Iowa State wasn't scoring points. And Iowa was content to just sit there in the mud chewing on a tuber with Iowa State. Like, they played Iowa State's brand of football. This was the only type of game that Iowa State was going to be able to win this year. And Iowa still kind of left the result in doubt a little bit longer than it should have been, maybe. I think their touchdown came, what, in the
0: third quarter, am I thinking? Am I guessing wrong on that? No, their touchdown. No, it came in the fourth quarter. And in so, fact, here's, that, there's a very tidy box score. Iowa State went 3 0, and Iowa went 0 3 7.
1: So, given the fact that in the fourth quarter, this is still a 6 3 game, despite Iowa clearly being the much better team, again, this is our philosophic thing, don't you think? I mean, does Kirk Ferentz really have to play such a god, hideous game to watch? You know, he's got a talent advantage, especially yes, when he Iowa does. Is
0: Look, he's, he has to get up in the morning, okay, and. You know, he's not as young as he used to be, and he can't just afford to be staying up all night. He's got to get home, and then he's got to make sure that all the animals are going to be fed, in you know, in the proper time. Okay, so just, just let him get through this. Let him get home from the stadium. Beat the traffic and you can get get in bed <laughs> at a reasonable
1: hour. With that, that would be the most midwestern thing ever. that like Kirk Ferentz is running this hideous three yards per carry offense so that he can get home before the traffic. Like, well, I yeah, so, so, basically... so that
0: everybody can get home at a reasonable hour, so that they can get up at the crack of dawn tomorrow, like they gotta do. Yeah. Now that, that's the whole philosophy behind this Kirk Ferentz thing is, Got you it. know, it's it's exactly the opposite of what literally every other part of the game is trying to do uh, and make these games five hours long.
1: I, you know, I appreciate that resistance to authority. That's what we've come to see and respect from Kirk Ferentz. So that does it for our turnaround the conference. We're going to do now our national review, but because we're bitter and spiteful people at heart, we're not going to talk about any good or interesting games. Instead, we're bringing you our new expanded segment, Dick Trips in Review.
0: I think, arguably, there's a lot of things to talk about here because North Carolina uh, lost badly to East Carolina, and this is not... This is know, not Ruffin McNeil, East it's Carolina. This is not Ruffin <laughs> McNeil. This is not... Uh, Does not even skip Holtz, East Carolina. This is an East Carolina team that lost to an FCS squad last week uh, and didn't even look particularly good doing it. This um, was
1: UNC also got roughed up by Cal in Week 1, which, granted, that's a Pac-12 team. Okay, that's fine. But, man... But they're
0: 0-2. And their coach said a bunch of really Tim Beckman-like stuff in response to um, the death of Jordan McNair. Yeah, regarding player safety and associated um, issues. Which, you know, by itself could have been grounds for people to start thinking about firing him. Yeah, and um, so
1: looking at their schedule coming up, the <laughs> two or three wins is entirely a possibility for North Carolina. It just could not happen to a more deserving
0: collection of goddamn cheaters. Well, deserve it. I hope that they keep Larry Fedora on forever in this case and sanction themselves. Damn it, we paid the price for just being bad when we hired Bill Cubit. Hopefully they can do the exact same thing. Um, man. Yeah, they, man. Now, the thing about East Carolina's quarterback is that his name is Reed Herring, and that is so, so close to being Red Herring that it is <laughs> infuriating. How could... oh Lincoln's, you might
1: say his name is a reed herring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had uh, fun. Florida <laughs> lost to Kentucky for the first time in my life. And Florida fans were posting conspiracy theories about calls made during this game. Like, Morrow, the last time you lost to this game, Reagan was still president. And it wasn't even, like, super close to the end of his term. I hadn't been born yet the last time uh,
0: Florida lost to Kentucky. A uh, running back took it so hard that half an hour later, he announced on Twitter that he was transferring from Florida.
1: Yeah, like immediately like, shit, man. We didn't even beat Kentucky. I'm out. I'm done. Of
0: course, we also had Purdue, which, I mean, I'm sorry. Losing to Emu is always a dick trip when you're the Big Ten. They became only the second Big Ten team ever to do it following in... The example of Rutgers, and you never want to follow Rutgers' example. Yeah, that's
1: that's like Cleveland following the Lions' zero sixteen season. Like, just not a thing you want. Archer, that's not your toy. We can't play tug of war with that. You can't have. All right, we you know we also discussed MSU. They're certainly the highest ranked team that lost last week. They were ranked fifteenth. They'll drop all the way out. It's pretty. But fair in to all say. of this,
0: though, I think that there can really only be one contender here for Dick Trip of the Week, and that is.
1: Damn Central Michigan Chippewas losing to Kansas at home. Now you might say, hold on, friend, that's a Big 12 team. Fires out, Chips. That's a Big 12 team and a MAC team. How can it possibly be a dick trip? Well... Because, as we mentioned, CMU was at home. For some reason, Kansas is playing a game in Mount Pleasant this last weekend. I don't know why that would have been. But Kansas had, I believe, a 46-game road-losing streak going on. Central Michigan had to turn the ball over six times, including at least one pick six. I think maybe two defensive scores. No, there was just the one because Kansas had a couple other touchdowns as well.
0: Their last road win was uh, against Mike Price because they were playing at UT El Paso because these are the kind of things that Kansas does.
1: I guess, which is is strange because it's usually the move. Of Mark absolutely. Mangino was
0: the coach, by the way.
1: This was that long ago. Two thousand nine. It was his last year. Actual, all right, so they weren't well, They, they were good they, anymore. They,
0: I, think, I want to say they won their first four or five, and then they, uh, then they, what they two thousand nine Michigan did and just lost all the rest of their games. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's it's so weird that Kansas plays those games because their basketball team prints money. Like, you'd think their athletic department can't be that broke. But anyway,
0: those are our nominees for Dick trip in review. But Central Michigan turned it over six times to Kansas' zero, and thus, they got Jayhawked.
1: And even that, like, look, the final score here was... 31-7. So, given a plus-six turnover margin, you can only turn that into a, what, a four-score game? Barely, Yeah.
0: No, Central Michigan play. better find a quarterback. Dan LaFever ain't walking through that door. Cooper Rush ain't walking through that door. Shit, Shane Morris ain't even walking through that door. Hi, this is Steve Braun, aka Thumpasaurus, also for Andrew Koscheski. Thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for checking out our podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. Please do uh, share us on social media or give us a review on iTunes. This is just a labor of love. And uh, once again, thank you and piss on Notre Dame. See you later.